So last week, we ended on a really tough note, a real struggle, a real tough, tough issue. We t I talked about last week about those people who have left the church, the people who said that they're done, done with Christianity, done with the church, done with Christ. And in this, as they have been saying that, that they're done, I, I want to revert that attention. It's very easy at, the, at this person point in time to be able to say, yeah, these people, yeah, they're done, but I know what kind of life they led. I know what they're, they're, they're like. Uh, don't worry about it. Just leave them and, and things like that. But no, uh, that's not what we're going to do today because that's not what the scripture calls us upon us to do in Hebrews. It is not what the author of the Hebrews wants. If the whole idea here is that he went through 10 chapters, chapters 1 through 10, and actually sharing with us about how Jesus is better. And then in the last two chapters, chapter 11 and chapter 12, he talked about how faith is better. This faith in this Jesus Christ is better than anything. And there's no reason to go back or walk away or to be done. This last chapter is really important. Because this last chapter is where everything is about not the people who are done, but it's about us here. How do we, as a church, make an impact in this world where Jesus is better, faith is better? How can we in the church can be better so that we can make an impact on, the, on this world? And for that matter, for those who are in our small groups and those in our congregation, that they would not be frustrated and also leave the church also. So, what is the recommendation from Hebrews? What does the writer to the Hebrews tell the, those that he's writing to? Well, uh, it may just seem way too easy, but he's actually calling us to go back to the basics. Just re kind of rethink what we have been doing and actually commit ourselves to what uh, God has intended for us in the very beginning is that as he loved us, that we would also love each other. And so here in Hebrews chapter 13, verses, verses 1, it says, let brotherly love continue. That's the ESV version. Uh, I believe NIV says, says uh, let us love, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Keep on loving each other in brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, the word here uh, for love it's a little different from what we normally talk about when we, when we are, are in Scripture. Because when we are in Scripture, we normally talk about God's love. And when we're talking about God's love, we, we, we use the Greek word agape. Okay, agape love. It's a sacrificial love. It's the kind of love that God had actually shown us in Jesus Christ. Okay? Uh, one helpful way of thinking about that, that that's actually a vertical love from God to us. Okay? Now... This word here, this word which a love is Philadelphia. It is about brotherly love. And at that point in time, that love is more about love amongst us in the church, amongst brothers and sisters in Christ. It's the love that we share and care with each other in, in, uh, in the community. So if, if we think of God's love for us as kind of like a vertical love, you want to think about this kind of love, Philadelphia as a love that is actually between us all as brothers and sisters. We don't have to die for each other, per se, but we can live for each other. We can encourage each other. And this is what we need to practice with each other so that we can get better, grow in our faith, 
come as we are, become what God intends us to be in the likeness of Jesus Christ. And so here, uh, there, in this passage, the, the, the writer tells us, oops, everything disappeared all of a sudden. Thank you for fixing this. Okay. So what the writer actually tells us is there are four ways, four ways in which we can actually love each other like brothers and sisters. And this is the way that we need to show. Now, I guess I need to preface this. And uh, for many of us, I think we need to just stop for a second and say, like, this uh, loving each other like brothers and sisters do uh, may, it may be colored by your relationship with your brother brothers and sisters, okay? Now, for me, I am very thankful. I feel like I've had a very good relationship with my two, two younger sisters. Uh, but for some of you, maybe uh, it was about competition. Or, or uh, yeah, I felt like my brother was the favorite one. Or, uh, yes, my parents loved, uh, loved my sister more. And that may give you an uncomfortable feeling. Please, you may need to put aside your personal experiences right now to be able to understand here the ideal sense of what brotherly love is, the ideal sense of what loving uh, your brothers and sisters is like. It's mutual. It's supportive. It's encouraging. It is, in spite of all the difficulties, in spite of everything that goes on in our lives, in spite of how tough the, the world may be even treating us, that we would love each other in this way. And there's four things that you call us to do in this way, to show courtesy towards one another, to have compassion, to have commitment, and to also show contentment. Now, a couple weeks ago, uh, a few weeks ago, Pastor Jeremy talked about how in chapter 11, there's this list of things for us, and that list, is not a check-off list, but a check-up list, okay? As you went through those things, it was not about you deciding that, uh, uh, yeah, I've done that, I've done that, I've done that, I fulfilled everything. But no, it's a check-up list for you to be always evaluating for yourself, always, indeed, evaluating to grow. Well, today, courtesy, compassion, commitment, and contentment are, is also a check-up list. But What's different now is not about you personally, but it's about we together as the church of Jesus Christ. That these are kind of the measures that we as a church need to have. If we are practicing these things, as we are living out these things, we won't have, that we can actually be preventative. We won't be able to, we, we, hopefully we can actually keep from having those people who say, I'm done. That in this way, when we live out these, these, these uh, live our lives as brothers and sisters in Christ, in that brotherly love, we have courtesy, compassion, commitment, and contentment. That these things are our check, check up list for us as a church, particularly as we are called back together again. Now, first thing, courtesy. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. So here, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. 
this idea of hospitality or courtesy was important. It was actually an important ministry back in the early church. Uh, Christians were under attack. There are some who had their homes taken away uh, because of that. And, and because they were homeless, they need to be brought into other people's place so that they would have be able to live and to, subs to, 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 to subsist, to be able to, to just survive. And here, uh, this is the encouragement. If you are going, we're going to be a church where we're going to be able to grow and grow together and stay together, we need to be hospitable. We need to show courtesy towards each other in that sense. Indeed, the author here wants to remind them of a great act of courtesy uh, in Genesis chapter 18. There, Abraham, the father of faith, Abraham was one who showed hospitality to three strangers. Three strangers who turned out to be God's angels. Indeed, one of them, many believe, and I do too, was actually the Jesus, was Jesus Christ himself coming to speak and to fellowship with Abraham. And he welcomed them with open arms. And in this sense, we, need, we all, the attitude that we need to have about hospitality, the attitude that we need to have about being courteous, it isn't optional, okay? Indeed, it can be a blessing, and indeed, it's actually kind of mandatory because the, in that day, the church could not go on without hospitality. And my thought is that that is also the case today. If you read about those who said they're done, those who have left the church, those who have walked away, they didn't feel like they were part of the church family. They did feel like they came in as strangers, they left as strangers. But how transforming hospitality and generosity can be. Hospitality is so critical for the church. It's in something important, and, and I have to say that it's actually something that's actually not easy. Uh, there is even a, uh, there's a degree in hospitality, right? Uh, University of Houston, you go on campus, you will see a building there with, uh, with H written on it, okay, that you can see it's about three, uh, four or five stories high. I think that's probably what it is, and you'll see H on it, but that H doesn't stand for Houston. That H stands for Hilton, okay, and at the University of Houston, they actually have a Hilton hotel on campus for the very specific reason is because they are there to teach. Uh, it's a teaching and training hotel for the students. Okay, they need to learn to be hospitable. We all can learn to be hospitable. Now, UH is a great school, a lot of different de departments that, that are very strong, uh, not just nationally, but worldwide. But what I love about this, the, the School of Hospitality, it's probably one of the only uh, majors uh, that actually has a purpose statement, okay? They actually have a purpose statement. This is what they have. Their purpose statement in the hospitality uh, major is to fill the earth with the light. And it's because it's from, uh, the, from uh, Hilton Hotels, okay? So to fill the earth with the light and warmth of hospitality by delivering exceptional experiences. 
Every hotel, every guest, every time. Okay? To fill the earth with the light and warmth of hospitality by delivering exceptional experiences. Every hotel, every guest, every time. Making strangers feel like family is not an easy proposition. It is actually something that requires a little hard work. It is something for us to be noticing, uh, paying attention to, to know that people who are walking in the doors, oh, I don't think I've seen that person before. They, and then you start noticing the things that they do. You know, you know how you can tell a person's kind of new at a church? They're actually reading the bulletin boards. Key. Nobody who's been here before reads the bulletin boards. It's a stranger, okay? They're there because, wow, nobody's talking with them, so I'll read the bulletin board. Or they're actually reading about the church. They're trying to understand who we are. And so it is a so this is, this is a very little, simple thing. But did you know to look for strangers or people who are guests that way? Do you know the signs? Can you tell when somebody who's actually uncomfortable in their new surroundings? Hospitality, that's what that is. And for those who are done, nobody felt their hurt. Nobody could feel their pain. Nobody felt that they were uncomfortable in the church. And this is a challenge before us. If we are the bride of our bridegroom, Jesus Christ, if we are the ones who are, are making an impact for the world and shining the light back on, on Jesus, we're challenged to be a people of hospitality. To be, that, that people would come here to have an exceptional experience because they met other people. People cared for them. That they felt loved going to be a challenge for us if we are going to be that church where we're inviting people back. In addition to being courteous, we need to show compassion. And here in this passage, it says, remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you are also in the body. Christians were being imprisoned for their faith in Jesus Christ. Be understanding, not being understanding of them, don't just, uh, but, but almost be empathetic, be sympathetic, ha understand what they're going to, remember what that feeling is like, know what that is. Because their pain really is your own pain at this point in time and understand what they're going through in this way and in understanding that you need to understand that for back in that day and what this passage is also telling us is it's not just about meeting physical needs but it's also about their spiritual needs too yes we can bring them food or bring them water to eat and to drink. But in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8, when the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy, uh, one of the key things he says to them at that point in time is this. Don't be ashamed of me. 
don't be ashamed of me. Wow. You see, what that is, besides the physical nature of being locked up, of not having everything, that, that, uh, not having the creature comforts that you were, the thing that hurts the most, the thing that really uh, drives a wedge between people, the, the thing that discourages anybody going through a hard time, is to know that others are ashamed of them. And that's what Paul felt. That many people in, in the church were turning their backs on him. Many people were looking away. People were writing him off. And it's very easy for us to think of those who say, I'm done, to just go ahead and write them off. To just go ahead and just, those people who have ever shared with us, they had some doubts in their faith. Or if there's anybody who has actually disagreed with us in the faith. If there's those who, who actually just are different amongst us, that when we turn our backs on them, when we say, you're done, I'm also done with you too. This is not the church of compassion. This is a church that we are challenged, if brotherly love is to continue, we need to care and to extend a, a, a heart for them. Uh, not just for their physical needs, for their spiritual needs. Indeed, I would actually have to say one of the big reasons, as I've been talking with people and, about, and, and pastors and why people have left their church, it had to be this. It wasn't that you didn't care for me personally, but you didn't care about the things I cared about. Okay? It wasn't that you didn't care about me personally. You didn't care about the things that I cared about. And I feel that at times the church has been tone deaf to what has been going on in this world. The issues that have to do with race, issue has to do with uh, gender equality, the issues that have to do with uh, gender uh, and sexual identity, LGBTQ plus issues, that in all those things, we have actually said, that's not about the church. Let's not worry about that. And when the church decides to do that, there are those who say, you're not very compassionate. You're not very understanding about what's going on in this world. You don't care about the things I care about. They're done. Third thing. If it is about courtesy, compassion, third thing that we need to be really looking at ourselves and be able to see, are we a people of commitment? Are we a people of commitment? Now, here, uh, the home is the first place where we need to look to see commitment. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Um, the marriage is about commitment. And commitment is, is about honoring, keeping our promises to the one we are married to. But marriage is also about holiness. It's to, to not let sexual sin, sexual immorality rule our, our lives. 
marriage, really, in the Christian sense, it's about honor, keeping promises, and it's about holiness, about keeping up with our relationship with God. That's why God brings us together. Now, uh, the world has distorted this. This is nothing new to you. I think you understand this. Uh, that in some sense, it almost seems as if the reason why we get married is that that way you can, uh, as far as a church is concerned, now you can sleep together or now you can have sex together. That's what that was all about. But that is never really the case. Uh, it is a distortion of what this world has centered and, and emphasized one aspect of marriage at the expense of the enriching and the the rewarding aspects that come from being a committed person. Marriage is supposed to be about showing commitment. And if we don't show, uh, and the duns are saying, wow, church, your marriages fail just like in the world. 50% 50% of your marriages fail, the world's 50%. So does Jesus really make a difference? It doesn't seem like it. And if, it does, and, and if Jesus doesn't make a difference, then why bother? I'm done. And so this is a challenge for us. That we start seeing marriage the way it really is. Not the world sees things. You know, uh, I, I think it's kind of very funny. Uh, there's so much, uh, you almost see like uh, uh, sex and marriage. Sex and marriage is also a, a, a um, synonymous as along those lines. And then you start, start hearing about how, how important sex is uh, in life uh, to, to the extent of other things. Um, it, I cannot, um, so I watch a lot of uh, YouTube videos. I also uh, follow like uh, Food Network. I always like to watch how people cook and how they, how they present their, their food and everything like that. But it really bothers me. At the, I mean, nine times out of ten, after end of every video, or every time, when, once they finish cooking, you know, the chopping and the prepping and the baking or the frying or everything like that, and they bring out that food, and inevitably they'll say, like, doesn't that look sexy? And I'm going like, no, I just want to know if it tastes good, okay? Um, another thing, this is how distorted our world is. Uh, our, um, one of the biggest problems in this world is about water sanitation. Indeed, probably more people have died of water sanitation than actually the pandemic, okay? Uh, because they do not have clean water to drink, it is it is epidemic right now for the, the loss of life, infants, uh, uh, all the way through, through, through seniors, worldwide. It's terrible. It's horrible. But it seems like nobody really cares to do anything about it. You don't hear about any bills being passed. You don't see about everybody getting on the bandwagon about clean water for the world or anything like that. And so the foremost expert on water sanitation was asked, what, why is it so hard to get people involved with this? Why is it so hard for you to get money to support your causes so that there can be uh, wells, there can be 
toilets. There can be clean water for people to, 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 to have. And it, he very simply just put it, put it this way. He just says, I guess we're not sexy enough. Again, that word to, that we describe everything, uh, that that's a highest standard of, of, of what you do, how you dress, uh, is about being sexy. That may be the world, but that's not what should be our world. And that may be what the world thinks what marriage is all about, but this is not what we need to see what marriage is about. Sexism part of marriage? Yep, it's there. It's a wonderful part of marriage. But there's so much more. Because one part of marriage is this. It's about commitment. Indeed, in Ephesians chapter 5, one very important part of marriage is this. It is the marriage, the relationship between a husband and wife is representative of the, rep, of, the, of the relationship between Jesus Christ and the church. Just as Jesus died for the church, is how a husband needs to start to see how, about giving his life over to his wife, to his spouse. That, uh, that in that is because in this world, marriage, a married couple, should be looked, be able to be, people should be able to see that couple and say, I see Jesus. I see Jesus' love. I see that commitment there that is supernatural. And when the duns, they don't see that in the church. They don't see the people with that kind of commitment. Because if you can't even commit to the person that you love the most, you're probably not committed to anything else either. Now, this is a check-up time for all of us, okay? So, hey, I like to think that I'm a good husband, okay? okay uh, Carolyn may have a different opinion, okay? But I like to think that I'm a pretty good husband. I, 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 I do my fair share of cooking, cleaning, all that kind of stuff. I even can fix stuff, okay? That's pretty good, okay? Uh, and in all these kind of things, uh, I, I think I was pretty good. But then... Um, Recently, we started, we, we do a lot of premarital counseling, and in this premarital counseling, we have just started using a new video series for this. And um, one of them has this little story about how a husband and wife, they're really near the end of their marriage. They, they really doesn't look like they're going to go for it. They may even be divorced. And the husband, both of them as Christian couple, the husband really wanted desperately just really wanted to lift it up to the Lord and ask what he needed to do. And the, an this, the answer that he got was this. So one morning, when, uh, after the couple woke up, he actually went to his wife and he actually said this to her. He says, how can I make your day better? And she looked at him like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Just kind of turned away. Because he never asked that before, okay? And then, then uh, he was persistent. He would ask her every morning, how can I make your day better? Eventually, she finally 
threw out something for him to, 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 to do or help or to pray. And, uh, and, and that was developed and continued on uh, in that way. And it also got to the point where she had stopped and said, hey, if he's asking me about how to make my day better, I should ask him the same thing. How can I make your day better? I tell you, I found that, I was floored. I found that incredibly challenging, okay? Now, I haven't done it yet. Check back, um, because again, I feel like this is part of what growing in commitment is, is how can we make things special for our, for our spouse? How can we make it an excellent, make marriage an excellent experience that um, I can make things better? Because if Jesus is better and faith is better, then how we live our lives should be better, then our marriages should always be better. And so to ask that question, how can I make your day better, just follows. I speak of marriage. Uh, I know that in here we have a lot of singles, and, you're, and again, uh, you're saying it doesn't apply to you. But yes, it actually applies to you in this way. Um, yes, marriage is where we can see commitment. And you can certainly be committed as a single person. Don't deny that. I don't deny that at all. I'm very thankful for how many of you are so committed. But as it is, as it stands, what we see here as far as what scripture is, is telling us that somehow marriage actually should be that that, that thing that the world can actually look at that and be able to see a special commitment just as Christ commits to his church and Christ loves us. Last thing, contentment. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's from Psalm uh, 118 verse 6 I will never leave you or forsake you so we can confidently say the Lord is my helper I will not fear what can man do to me we need to replace covetedness that idea about a love of money that needs to replace with contentment and all this is ultimately based on our faith in Jesus Christ how we can be actually have confidence in him that a God who has actually provided everything in Jesus Christ is that we can rest in this to know that our needs are met and that we don't really have to want anything more. Now, the problem that we have in the church, in churches maybe here in the United States, is that the, the church itself is so absorbed into the world that we that the church seems covetous, uh, uh, covetedness, or it seems covetous, okay? Um, I, I'm sure uh, maybe many of you actually subscribe to this. I think it's either, either an Instagram or, or it's, a, it's, a, it's a web page. But there's this, there's this web page called Preachers and Sneakers, okay? Preachers and Sneakers, okay? Uh, 
go there. No, don't go there now. Well, you can go there now. It's okay. Uh, preachers and Sneakers have this thing where they actually show pastors who are preaching on Sunday, they actually show the pastor's shoes. Okay? They actually show the pastor's shoes. And the reason why they do this is because some of these pastors have really, really nice shoes. Okay? They, we're talking about, like, you know, they're just not, they're not even just the $100, $200 range. They're even more expensive. They're actually collector's items. They've been signed by sports uh, uh, sports uh, celebrities or something along those lines. And, and the reason this, this has been really popular to show these shoes is that they're signs of covetedness or signs of desire, signs of, of being elite, as signs of wanting, as signs of, of, of greed, signs of wanting more, signs of the love of money. And it's a real turn off. And there are many people who see that and go, I'm done with the church. Now, uh, those of you who are at home can't see my shoes. Okay, so anyway, so let's see here. I don't know if you can, you can see it that way. Okay, but anyways, uh, uh, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a fashionista. I don't really, uh, uh, really care too much about how I, how I dress. I'm actually wearing a suit today because I was preaching in the Cantonese congregation. They expect me to wear a suit, okay, but at any rate. Uh, but as I, I come before you, uh, it's easy for me to, to say, well, I'm not as, as covetous as the next pastor, okay? But I need to be really watchful of myself. And let me just kind of just share you a little story about how, how, how things can eat at you. And, and signs of covetousness are envy and jealousy, right? Uh, when uh, Carolyn and I were missionaries, uh, what was very common is that I would go to a church on a Sunday. I would be traveling from church to church on Sundays to go speak. And oftentimes when we go to, to the churches, uh, they were small churches, not a lot of people, poor churches. And so when we go speak there, uh, we more than likely, more often than not, quite wouldn't receive an honorarium, okay? Because when you go preach at a church, they take up offering. They actually give, give you, you as the speaker some of the offering. But more often than not, in these churches that when I was a missionary, they, I did not give, get an offering because it was really, the offering was just enough for them to take care of the church, okay? No problem. So what would they do at that point in time is, uh, is instead of offering, uh, they'll invite us to, to uh, Sunday lunch, okay? And so on Monday, when we, we as a mission, missionaries would gather together, and then we would actually turn over our honorarium, okay? But inevitably, as we go around the room asking each other, so did you get any honorarium? No, didn't get any honorarium. Did you get any honorarium? No honorarium. So, so, so then we would, we would basically say something along the lines. It was in Cantonese. They would say, oh, so, so you, did you get an honorarium? And then you would say, no. Okay, so that, uh, uh, that's the saying, all I had was, uh, all I got was chicken. Basically, you're saying, saying, I didn't get an honorarium, but chicken, chicken, you know, winner, winner, chicken dinner, okay? That's basically what you're saying, okay? That was, that was it, okay? That's all you got. 
And we're totally happy about that. There's no problem, okay? But one time, what happened was this. We were sharing, after, that Monday, we were sharing about, about, you know, did you get your honorarium? Did you get your honorarium? No, no, I didn't get honorarium. You know, winner, winner, chicken dinner. Just chicken, 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 chicken. Then, one of our fellow missionaries, Pastor Paul, Paul shared this. He goes, you know something? I didn't get chicken. I actually got abalone soup. Okay, now, I don't know if any of you are foodies, but abalone soup, fresh abalone soup. It's amazing. Okay. So sweet, succulent, rich. It is expensive. Okay. Here's something else. Okay. Abalone soup. Bao yu tang. Okay. It is incredible. Okay, so, so here, uh, so, so, so we're all saying like, winner, winner, chicken dinner, we're all very happy. And then he says, I had abalone soup. And then we're going like, at first it was like, whoa, you must have preached a really good sermon. Okay. But then that Sunday, that Sunday, went to preach. And then after, after uh, worship, had Sunday lunch together, and it was a chicken dinner. Then all of a sudden, I go, that chicken dinner didn't taste very good anymore. And the following week, got to the part where it goes, why don't they ever make me bao yu tang? Is my ser- was my sermon not good enough for abalone soup? You could, and then I, after a couple weeks on, I could feel that, I could really sense that a joy was really being sapped out of me, okay? You know what I'm talking about, isn't it? That envy, uh, that, that jealousy, that, that takes away that incredible contentment that we actually have in Jesus Christ. And we got to be careful about that. We need to be checked. This is actually on our checklist as far as contentment is concerned. And people are judging us. Pastors and sneakers, other people are looking at us. Are you really, the church is willing to give up everything for Jesus Christ? Are you just gathered here to show off with each other? And this is not just about money. It's about our conversations and what we actually have. What do we talk about? our new phones, our new car. Uh, Students, we talk about our grades when we gather here, and you know what is going on in your small groups and and, uh, out in the hallway. When your conversation is about things, it is evidence of our materialism. It is evident that our contentment is actually not in Christ, but our contentment is in the things of this world. And when people hear those things, they're done. So people, they're people who are done because nobody connects with them. They're done because nobody understands them. They're done because nobody commits to them. And they're done just because in the end, the church is just like the world.
But you know something? I think we can turn this around. I think all of us, as we evaluate ourselves, and during this pandemic time, during, before we come really full service again, we can take this time to do a checkup for ourselves as a church and the church leadership. Courtesy. We've got to start practicing hospitality. You know, uh, what was really funny was uh, Pastor Sam's been on vacation. Oh, excuse me, been on, on uh, sabbatical. And so on one of his trips to Portland, he sent me a picture from a church in Portland, uh, like uh, what, what they do. It was so hilarious because I thought we were being hospitable because we do donuts and coffee every once in a while. And then he shows me a picture. He goes like, oh, dude, we are so behind. They are serving uh, kombucha. If you don't know what kombucha is, I didn't either until a couple months ago, okay? It's okay. Uh, ask your hipster friends what, 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 what kombucha is, okay? But this church actually served kombucha on tap. You can just walk up there and then be able to, 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 to get your own little, little kombucha with or without the ice, right, or whatever. And, and I'm thinking, wow, there are different levels of hospitality that are actually before us. I'm not saying that we need to have kombucha. I don't even think that you, you even want to have it. You don't even know what it is. But uh, we are challenged to try to meet the needs of those who come and visit our church. We have to practice hospitality. But we can start at it one-on-one. When you feel safe, when things are safe, invite someone out to dinner. Indeed, when you feel safe for yourself and also for your family, open your homes to others. There's one thing about people coming to church. There's another thing about opening the doors to your own home. That's actually one of the reasons why many of our English ministry small groups are actually in people's homes. We decided that actually hospitality is actually one of the key ingredients to grow, grow, grow people and grow people together practice of hospitality. Next thing, practice compassion, okay? Um, visit a prison ministry. If not, not necessarily that this is going to be what you need to do or what we need to do together, but I think you need to un- understand and come to grips with what people struggle with. And in that way, we are always needing to be honed, always be needing to be challenged of, of how other people live, Okay? be it of race or be it of, of, uh, of a different nationality or of a different religion even. We need to understand them better. This is what compassion is all about, and it's only in this way that we can understand how we can meet their needs. Commitment. We need to strengthen those of us who are married. We need to strengthen our marriages. It is not off topic to ask about how each other's marriages are going. We ask each other about our jobs. We ask each other about our kids. Why don't we ask each other about our marriages? It is not a topic that is, should be off subject because as I have said, marriages, yes, they're personal, but they're not private, okay? Marriages are personal, not private because our marriages are witnesses of God's work in Jesus Christ. It's an on topic for us in the church, okay? Um, Let's start asking. Let's try to strengthen our, our marriages. Ask each other, how can I make your day better? And very lastly, about, oops, let's see. Yeah, uh, 
contentment. We need to practice contentment. Uh, this requires a little bit of a self-checkup. Do I talk about money a lot? Do I worry about not having money? I, I worry about not having enough money. You know, uh, I, you're probably not a greedy person. I don't know anybody who's like that. But are you content? Are we modeling contentment to others? That we have a peace and a reassurance about who Jesus is. That Jesus is better. I have a faith in him. And I will rest in him too. With that, let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we just come before you as a people. It's time for checkup. It's time for us to evaluate. It's time for us to look at our lives to see if we are, as a church, are doing the things, living it out the way you intend us to be. So take, may your Holy Spirit transform us. May your Holy Spirit change us and take us through those things that, that are required, that we, even as a church, are pure and holy to be the bride of our bridegroom, Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.